said, when you look at our most recent NBC poll here and you ask folks, what is the single most important issue that's going to drive your vote in this year's midterm elections? A combined 34 percent cite either jobs in the economy or inflation. And you combine those two, that's the biggest single number you're going to get. And on that question, the Republicans have a nearly 30 point advantage Tim Ryan just told a big fib. He said he supported Ohio's natural gas industry, and he's always done so. And yet Tim Ryan, when he ran for president, was it two years ago, you supported banning fracking, both on public lands and generally speaking. That crushes the Ohio energy sector, and that's one of the reasons why manufacturers are going to China. Ohio needs an ass kicker, not an ass kisser. You've said that you don't like Nancy Pelosi, you love Nancy Pelosi, that you have a lot of respect for her, uh, both as an individual member of Congress and the way that she has led. What would you do so differently? Yeah, I I do love her. Two real quick stories, because Senator Schumer's here, and I want to make sure he's my future boss, so I got to suck up a little bit here. One more time before we let you go, because I think it is on the mind of Arizona voters. Are you saying this morning that there is no circumstance that you can envision or would even try to negotiate in which you and Carrie Lake would appear at a debate together before the election? At this point in the race, with 30 days to go, uh, our schedule in terms of, of forums uh, is pretty much set. And, and I'm really happy with where we are in uh, the plans we have to continue talking directly to the voters of Arizona. Midterm elections are four weeks from today. The economy remains top top of mind for voters. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO said the U.S. is likely to enter a recession in the next nine months. Bank of America says the U.S. could start losing 175,000 jobs a month. Gas prices are on the rise again. Should the American people prepare for a recession? No. Look, they've been saying this now. How every every six months they say this. Every six months they look down the next six months and see what's going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't. There, there has. There is no. There's no guarantee that there's going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. Well, look. Think about what's happened. We have done more. We're in a better position than any other major country in the world, economically and politically. We are. We still have real problems. But we look. Look what we look what we got done. We, we, we passed so much legislation that significantly makes a, makes a point about, you know, for example, the American Rescue Plan, the, the legislation to deal with inflation, um, the, the Inflation Act. We moved along. I mean, there's so much that's been accomplished that the idea that there's uh, something, there's an automaticity to recession is just not, is just not there. They keep, they've been predicting this off and on for the last but you just said that a slight recession is possible. It is possible. Look, it's possible. Uh, so I don't think the president's comments has anything to do with what's happening right now. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Unregulated Podcast here on October 12th, 2022. This is episode number 104, and I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your co-hostess, Mike McKenna, and apparently a feedback magnet for the last 10 days or so. So <laughs> I just got two words for you. Lay it on me. Made in America, pal. <laughs> Made in America. Two words for you. I just, he's so 
hopeless. It's so bad. I mean, oh, Jack, did you see old Tapper pick up his his cheat cards for him in that interview he just did on? Uh, I missed the interview. How it, was it? Oh, it was Vintage Joe. Vintage Joe, and are probably the reason why he does one a year. So, well, I mean, he's obviously trust Tapper because you saw how it, you saw how that interview came about, right? He called he called Tapper up to offer some additional thoughts on something Tapper had run. I have to be honest with you, you only do that with a reporter you really, really like, right? And trust completely. So it it the whole thing had the feeling of I'm gonna call up my friend and see if we can put it on camera. I would have liked to see the like the the whole thing, the unedited version. Yeah. So we're about what, twenty eight days out? from the election something like that we are less than that now as we as we record here on wednesday we are 27 days from the final from the final day of voting in this election cycle mercifully well the uh, uh debates are in full swing except of course for the arizona governor race which <laughs> we played a little bit earlier <laughs> yeah. You gotta be, gotta be you, careful. You listen to her, you kind of, you kind of, I kind of understand why she doesn't want to sit on a stage with Carrie Lake for ninety minutes. Oh yeah, Lake would run her over. It would, it would not be, it would not be a competitive contest. So it, it, I'm glad. The other, yeah. thing. and of course we, uh, uh, I mean, arguably speaking, JD Vance had a good night against Tim Ryan. Yeah, so I went back and watched it after I saw the commentary, right? There's no there's no way you can escape that um, Ryan tagged him a couple of times, but I thought overall J.D. probably won that thing on points. Um, you know, the thing is, debates are, are I don't I think they're really important to the geek class. I'm not sure anybody else cares. No, it's just fun for us to, you know, spend a little time talking yeah. about yeah. stuff like that, so. Yeah, I mean, the only you know the only the only debates I can remember anybody really watching were the the Trump Biden ones and the Trump Hillary Clinton ones, and then the um the Bush Dukakis ones way back in the day. Everybody else loses you know views of these things. Is you got to be kidding me? Why would I watch that? You know, seven hundred channels. I'll find something else. Yeah. Well, how about announcements this week? Do you have any, sir? I probably should have thousands, um, but I'm only going to restrict myself to two one is to ken meinzinger who's a listener sorry ken for outing you there um you can we can edit it back you want to you want to start over no okay (laughs) mr mr km you want to call mr km well you know he told me that i shouldn't sing anymore on the podcast so oh i disagree 100 right so do i and i just wanted to put that out there that that ken should probably just go to hell um and then the (laughs) second one is i'm gonna probably start giving out this award on the regular like every every week um every podcast there was some outfit called the center for something or other in arizona that literally put out a poll of like 517 likely voters i gotta remember their name um that showed mark kelly was leading blake masters by 17 points I don't know how that race is going to turn out. I've called it for Blake Masters. I think that's who's going to win, but I obviously don't know. But I'm confident, and I, when I mean confident, I mean I'd be willing to bet the mortgages that Blake Masters isn't going to lose that race by 17 points. Those guys should have put that in a drawer and not let anybody see it. So they're going to be my ridiculous poll of the week 
Um, and I think we probably put it. I'll, I'll find it for you. We'll put it in the show notes because it's. I'm going to do it once a week. The most ridiculous survey results of every week. All right, that sounds like a good idea. And I still, I still uh, feel like Kelly's probably going to win that for one some strange reason. I, I don't. I'm not. I don't, I'm not basing it on anything um, other than the quirkiness of Arizonans. But uh, you know, it looks like it's going to be close closer than i thought it would be i'll give so. you my i'll give you my three theories on why i think blake's gonna win right and it's a forecast right it's a prediction sure it's not an assessment of current polling i got it i got in a bunch of calls with my, i got in a, a couple of calls with finance guys last week and they like chipping at me well the the survey show this and the survey show that i'm like yeah you know what doesn't really matter where the puck is now it matters where it's going um blake masters is eventually going to his his quality as a candidate is eventually going to shine through, and I think it's getting there, right? He's starting to figure out how this thing goes. That's thing one. Thing two is money's going to flow in on the right side of the can. On the I mean, political right side of the um, the campaign uh, enough to to I think um, put him over the top. And then um, you know, three Lake's going to win by five or six points. And yeah, um, I think she's going to certain. I, I don't know. I feel like she's going to help for sure. Yeah, she's going to she's going to pull him over the finish line. That's okay. Right. Brian Kemp's going to pull Walker over the finish line, and um, you you know the way you're talking and the way things are starting starting to tighten up. Um, it sounds like it could be a better night than than we were maybe thinking about three weeks or a month ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, it. it I mean, you, you know, I put this down in the you know this in the in the note late september right the september note i said hey man you you can see these races starting to starting to clarify i'm gonna win you know republicans are gonna win in ohio um win in georgia even if it takes a runoff and it might um probably you know new in north carolina and wisconsin and probably win in pennsylvania and arizona too because it's just the trend line is all one direction right it's not bouncing around georgia got upset by the walker news right but I think it's going to, um, that trend line is right. going to reestablish itself. We'll yeah. Well, that still means that doesn't mean folks should, you know, sit on the sidelines. I mean, obviously if you have an interest uh, in the outcome of this election, you ought to do something to contribute to that uh, momentum. You so can, that's just can, my advice to our legions of listeners you get here to, at the you, unregulated podcast. You get the idiots you vote for gang. No simpler than that. Right. Get all right, we got to do energy. There's a lot of energy. There's a hell of a lot of energy going on. What do you got? So I've got uh, from the Wall Street Journal today, Saudis spurned Biden on call to delay oil cuts. Yeah. Days before a major oil production cut by OPEC and its Russia-led allies, U.S. Official, officials called their counterparts in Saudi Arabia and other big Gulf producers with an urgent appeal. Delay the decision for another month. People familiar with the talk said the answer, a resounding no. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, two things about that worth noting. Right? <laughs> is, what, what, what is there to say? Yeah, I mean, there, there's two things to say, right? Um, first off, president never called um uh whatever whoever's the boss guy now in in saudi arabia whichever one of those guys it doesn't really matter they're all the same guy um um president never called his counterpart in saudi arabia so the saudis didn't take any of it seriously um obviously 
you know, why would they, why would you listen to some third rank guy if like the boss hadn't called you? So that's one. Two is, you know, for the Saudis, for other OPEC folks, they've been making it pretty clear for about two weeks that they were going to do what they did. The important thing, and this is something that, <laughs> there's going to be an editorial, I think, in the Washington Times tomorrow, or perhaps the day after, that's going to lay all this out. The, the, the important thing is, is that the August runs, the, the August uh, production numbers show that OPEC was producing about three and a half million barrels uh, a day less than their quota. So this great big production cut, put that in quotes, really wasn't a production cut. It simply aligned with the reality of what was already being produced. I don't understand why the administration has decided to fight a jihad over this thing. It's it's ridiculous. Um, and the fact that they got all upset about a production cut that was already de facto happening tells you again for like the 900th time there is literally nobody in that crowd who has any conception at all of what the hell's going on in the world of energy, right? I'm sure they're experts at whatever, but at energy, you know, this is this is where not having a guy on the premises who knows anything about about the global market is a problem. And you know, the thing about it is, is the other thing that kind of kills me. They didn't call anybody, right? They didn't call a guy like Bob McNally. They didn't call him and say, hey, what should we do here, right? Like even Joe McMonagle. They didn't call any of those guys and say, hey, what should we do here? It, it, criminal and stupid and they look dopey. And you know what? When the Congress, when Congress gets back after the election and they start talking about NOPEC and all that other stuff, they're going to look dopey too. So anyway, so a non-production cut, production cut has got them all upset and they're going to do something probably rash and stupid that's going to damage the relationship with the Saudis, the House of Saud, and, you know, and and probably destabilize the relationship for at least for the short term. Other than that, it's, well, I, think, you know. I think the other point, though, is, is that like the Biden administration cares a whole lot about the American people. When their big ask is to wait until after, after the, the elections, yeah, <laughs> before you make your big cuts, right? <laughs> See, that's the difference, Tom. I'm focused on the idiocy. You're focused on the cynicism. Yeah, well, <laughs> but it's totally that's what makes us such a great pair. It's totally accurate. I hadn't thought about it. Like, <laughs> hey, we're okay with you guys hosing everybody, but could you do it a little bit later? <laughs> yeah. All right, so I've got two uh, two two quick clips here uh, from two, I guess now energy experts, um, and in the spirit of you saying, "Hey, let's take uh, let's take our converts when we can get them." Yeah. Here is the first one. There have been a lot of Lehman comparisons made in recent weeks and months with regards to the fallout from the energy crisis. You are the only Wall Street CEO who is around to navigate the global financial crisis. How worried are you about Europe this winter, given everything that's going on in Ukraine and with the energy supply? Well, I think we're getting energy completely wrong, which is, you know, ever since this war started, you've known that Europe is going to have a problem and that it was pretty predictable that Putin was going to cut off some gas and certain oil and oil price would go up. And by the way, for the climate folks here, it's made the climate worse. Because people had this bad assumption that higher oil prices and gas prices would reduce consumption, reduce CO2. No, poor nations, India, China, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, are turning back on coal plants, as are rich nations called Germany, Netherlands, France. We have it completely backwards. 
JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon is still still out God stuffing. Almighty, Jamie Dimon sounds better than half the senators <laughs> and Republican caucus on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, here is the other energy expert uh, also commenting on the situation in Europe. I mean, personally, I think that it's that it's it's a very bad idea to to focus on coal when when this is already in place. But mm. but but of course, it's uh, yeah, it's a very infected debate um but for the climate issue uh, are the, the the nuclear power plants the better choice for the time being now it depends if we have them already running i feel that it's a mistake to close them down in order to focus on coal <laughs> yeah this the, the, yeah, now the difference between the two interviews um was Quite simply, the the optics were pretty interesting. So Jamie Dimon, of course, was in his fancy suit, no tie. Greta was in her pajamas. Well, you know, <laughs> literally in her pajamas. So, in all fairness, I'm doing this in my shorts. So, uh, <laughs> it, it it it's interesting to watch the environmental community. Um, and I and I knew this was going to happen, and I know I predicted it in a bunch of places, including here, right? The older guys in the environmental community, the older generation, they grew up as anti-nuclear activists, and it was—it's great to watch the younger. It's really, generation. sort of the foundation. Of yeah, a of lot course, of course. Garbage. You know, they—they they hate, you know, they hate and despise nuclear power because it's so technologically advanced and complicated. Right, that was part of the reason they hated it. So, to have them, you know, have to, to have their children, um, their professional children, right, their ideological children turn on you know turn around and say yeah we know we probably should keep those nuclear plants operating for as long as we can right um and have you know countries like france say yeah we're gonna try to build out a bunch of nuclear plants has to be really painful on the other hand they brought it to themselves so i'm kind of yeah i mixed feelings about it diablo canyon is going to be a great fight here in the next two years and then of course um well, Larry Summers has given the old Biden administration a little bit more heartburn. Here was a, a, a clip from a Bloomberg interview. Look, we made a mistake by canceling the Keystone Pipeline. <laughs> we made a mistake by slowing down all kinds of permitting uh, activity. We made a mistake by being hostile as a country to uh, natural gas. And then Joe Manchin has also chimed in. Good Lord. Joe Manchin, who just came off of a mini vacation in Utah. I saw that. Being escorted by Senator Mitt Romney. Willard, please use his correct name, his given, his given sort of Christian name. Manchin's answer to the OPEC spike in, a, in an appeal to Joe Biden is to... Oh, hell, I can spend more money? I don't know what. Approve the... <laughs> Approve the Mountain Valley Pipeline, sir. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Now he's just getting silly, old man. I was going to say, it's hard to take him seriously after a certain point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Just so everyone's, got, everyone's got something to say about the fact that OPEC cut production. But nobody in the Biden administration is saying what uh, needs to be said sure. and done, which is to get us producing that 2 million barrels plus a day that we no longer produce. Yep. And uh, if you include Canada and the dumb decisions that uh, our friend uh, up there, which, by the way, last week we said, what's the number? Uh, I think the Alberta, one of the Alberta uh, energy experts, pegged it about 900,000 
Yeah, we're probably so, that no, sounds about right. We're three million barrels, uh, all, right? Yeah, so you know, we'd be plus, we'd be an additional million barrels a day between yeah. these two wonderful, great countries with generous uh, energy resources. Well, I mean, the great thing. But, is, hey, but that's that would just be too easy. Too easy, right? The um, the good news is is that the looming recession is going to knock down demand enough so that the Biden team Biden won't take a huge hit on gas prices. So. I'm not sure they're. So, gonna, I'm not sure they're going to be excited about that trade, but there it is. Shifting gears a little, um, you know, Gavin's gas prices are double. You know, what are they? Six, seven bucks a gallon. Yep. A couple refineries down in in California, and uh, Gavin's going after them, of course, because they're gouging. Windfall uh, profits, baby. Demanded um, uh, the the refiners explain their themselves to their credit valero sent an interesting letter yeah man and we'll put it in the show notes and everybody should read it right it's only like two pages it's a quick letter very simple yeah um so let me read the let me get to the heart of it uh this is from the guy who runs their state government affairs, too. This is not some random dude back at headquarters. This is the guy who's got to look at these guys every day. So I thought I was hugely impressed by it. Here we go. From the perspective of a refiner and fuel supplier, California is the most challenging market to serve in the United States for several additional reasons. <laughs> California regulators have mandated a unique blend of gasoline that is not readily, readily available outside of the West Coast. California is largely isolated from fuel markets, etc. California has imposed some of the most aggressive and thus expensive and limiting environmental regulatory requirements in the world. California policies have made it difficult to increase refining capacity and have prevented supply projects to lowering operating costs of refineries. So uh, good on them. Good on Valero for dishing back and throwing some truth bombs out there we'll put those in the uh put that in the show notes i'm looking forward to the windfall profits tax because i think that's going to help california consumers enormously yeah and uh one last thing it's definitely going to make gas cheaper by putting a tax on it i think that's really going to help one last thing from me this is from fox news today uh from tom Kanachi. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me who, by the Biden way, administration who, by the official. Way, let me just stop you there for a second, um, and let's let's point out that Tom is a is an excellent young reporter, an excellent. Young oh, reporter. absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Biden administration official privately briefed former employers donors on energy policy. Text messages show Clements meeting with her former employers funders is inescapably improper. Institute for Energy Research president tells Fox News Digital. I wonder who that is. Uh, anyway, so um, the article goes on to explain that um, though it's taken a very long time for the Institute for Energy Research to receive much of this information, and much of it is still redacted, um, the former employer of the commissioner had in addition to having numerous meetings and, and, and meetups, had asked for and received a uh, opportunity to privately brief the funders of the Energy Foundation, her former employer. 
Yeah. What concerned me about I saw some of that traffic, right? What concerned me was they specifically said, hey, we want to talk about pending rulemakings at FERC. And on the comebackers, there was no, hey, I can't do that because that's ex parte. Um, now, I'm certain that Commissioner Clemens um, is careful about ex parte. I'm certain that she didn't violate any ex parte rules. Um, that, that we probably need to little, know a little bit more about about what actually happened in these meetings. And, and, and it, 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 it's look this thing about former employers, right? It's pretty, it's pretty ironclad. You're not supposed to go talk to them. You're not supposed to hang out with them. You know, I, I, I look when I was inside. To, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to a Christmas party held by the National Nero, right? The National Environmental Resource Organizations, whatever. You, you know, the Nero guys, right? I wasn't allowed to go to a Christmas party because they was going to have a bunch of my former customers there. Um, you know, they're pretty serious about this. I, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about how this story is is kind of where the where the story's going. And and uh, you know. Again, let me just be real clear. I like um, Commissioner Clements. I, I, I have confidence that that um, she didn't do anything wrong with respect to ex parte. But I, I this story needs like the story needs an ending. And I'm not, it, you know, like I said, we're we're middle we're midway through it, and it doesn't have any. I don't see any pathway towards a happy ending here. Well, I, I think that the idea that you meet regularly with your former employers whose objectives are pretty pretty commonly known out there are to you know turn FERC into a GHG I wouldn't care, you know, production I agency I don't, I don't but I just that. like I just ask any commissioner would you meet with the funders of your old boss yeah I mean I don't I don't I mean know. just I, just I from care. an optics perspective and the other thing is This is this is I'm not saying this is where we're going to go with this, but, you know, the left turns this into a cause celeb every time. Well, I was just I was just trying to take somebody out. So I don't care if the Energy Foundation was in favor of for, you know, regulating the speed limit. I I don't I don't care. It it doesn't matter. It's, um, you know, commissioners need to be careful about this stuff needs to be, you know, this stuff needs to be public and and and. known and knowable right and and it's well we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes i i i predict that there's like i said it's going to be tough to have a tough for me to see where the where this thing goes that that isn't isn't not good so just read from one email that we just uncovered thank you so much for presenting to our funder group on monday i thought your comments were very interesting and helpful in focusing our group on ways we can support successful advocacy at FERC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, it's difficult. It, last thought on this, right? Difficult, yeah. difficult for me to figure out how this avoids, you know, Republicans are going to take the House and probably take the Senate. This is going to come up in oversight. You know, this is, this is going to come up in oversight. And, and this is a, you know, it's kind of a direct, direct consequence of the politicization of the agency, right? You know, when you when you want to when you want to be a partisan political agency instead of sort of a neutral technocratic agency, you're going to start sailing into some choppy waters that you've probably never sailed in before. You know, 
You know, this happens at EPA. Nobody thinks twice about it. You just say, yeah, it's EPA, right? It's kind of a rough game over there. Lots of sharp elbows. Yeah, well. You know, FERC's a totally different kettle of fish. It's This is a this is a departure from its normal historical, hey, we're going to be boring umpires and call strikes and balls. Yeah. That's, well, the other departure is how they handle FOIA requests as well. Uh, we have gotten nothing but delay, deny, and, and redact in terms of, of the requests that we've made. And from my understanding from previous uh, the previous administration at least, and I would argue probably going back further, uh, took these uh, things a lot more seriously. And yeah, my, my personal history with this organization goes back 35 years now almost. Um, they're, they're, they are a great, as, 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 as great a government agency can be, they are a great government agency, well-run, um, carefully neutral, um, non- I don't mean nonpartisan in a, a nonpartisan essentially, right? It, you know, it, it, but that is unfortunately changed in the last three or four years and not for the better, not for the better. Anyway. All right. To be continued, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, well, you can also go to the Institute Energy Research's website and you can find all of the documents, including all of the, the requests and the responses or lack thereof, and thus uh, the lawsuits and appeals that we've had to file. And we will continue to put them in to the record uh, for the public to view. And you can judge for yourself if they're uh, interested in sharing with us uh, how they've come to some of the decisions they've been making lately. Yeah, and I, and I think you should do that, right? Everybody should do that. It's a short read, right? It's not, there's not, there's not 4,000 pages. There's what, 50, 60? I mean, it's, it's, it's digestible. All right. I got one more in the energy world and then we can move on. Uh, the Wall Street Journal again. Uh, just got to get my annual, uh, I got to get my weekly uh, dig into BlackRock. BlackRock walks a political tightrope on climate issues. Under fire on both sides of the ESG debate, the asset manager is defending its climate bona fides while highlighting energy investments. <laughs> Uh, last Louisiana's treasurer last week said the state would pull nearly 800 million from BlackRock's funds by the end of the year, citing the asset manager's support for environmental social governance investing. The move came just a few weeks after BlackRock got a flurry of letters calling out its stance on climate issues. In August, attorneys general from 19 states accused BlackRock of actively pressuring companies to phase out fossil fuel to the detriment of the states that depend on the oil and gas industry. The following month, New York City's comptroller suggested BlackRock is walking back its climate priorities. The fact of the matter is we recognize there is politicization and using BlackRock as the punching bag is convenient for politics at the moment. Mark McComb, BlackRock's chief client officer, said in an interview, but we're going to do what we've always done, which is deliver for our clients. Yeah, yeah. So... So you know, you take this. I mean, Larry Fink's Larry Fink, right? It in a in a in a more just society, something different would be happening to him, other than he'd be making a bunch of money, right? So, but anyway, you take this BlackRock walk back, and you take Ray Dalio leaving, and you're left with a couple of clear thoughts. I'm left with a couple of clear thoughts in my head. First off, recession's coming, right? Winter's coming. Yeah, and all the people who are sitting around don't want to be around. That's right. For it, right? You know, which is what I've said all along about this net zero garbage. 
None of the politicians like Gavin or Cuomo, obviously, are going to be around when the whole thing blows up. Or when the bill comes due. And then um, then the other thought I have in my head is, I, I suspect a bunch of these guys are starting, you know, getting told by their Washington guys, hey, man, Republicans are going to take at least one house. That means you're going to be invited to parties you don't want to be invited to. Um, right, you know, right. you're going to you're going to you're going to get a chance to answer questions under oath. And you know, I don't mean to be cynical, but it's, there's just no other way to think about this. Right. The, the, the next two or three years um, for these guys is going to be bad. It's not going to be good. <laughs> and I'm very excited. Yeah, so uh, am I. It's going to be fun excited about it. It's going to be fun. I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to somebody explaining to me. Rating agencies, right? Standard and Poor's is the one who did this particular rating. How how American oil companies wind up getting rated worse on ESG metrics than China uh, or Russia? I want to. I, I want that explanation. I'm looking forward to that that moment in the Senate or in the House when somebody says, "Hey, explain this rating to me," and watch like some some poor senior vice president. Bah, 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 bah. That's going to be fun. Yeah, man. All right. I'm, I got, I'm out of energy. What do you got? I got one more. Um, and it's some, you know, some we've talked about a bunch of times, but um, I've been asked a bunch more times in the last week, is the administration seriously considering an export ban? And I'm like, I'm telling you again, yes, they are thinking about export limitations on both crude and refined products. They are serious about it. They are viewing it as a, as a way to look like they are doing something about gas prices and it's not going to get sold as a ban or a limitation it's going to get sold as an inventory building um rule guidance stricture however you want to think about it um and as i said before the only thing that will stop it is if the republicans take both houses of congress that might stop it anything else anything short of that they're going to go ahead and they're going to do it and it's going to be tremendously disruptive anyway i just wanted to remind everybody that's still lurking out there because when the president talks about consequences i guarantee you he's rolling that export ban in his head right that's part of the consequences he's thinking about like we're going to show the saudis we're not going to sell them military hardware and we're going to damage our own energy industry further brilliant moves brilliant moves it is what it is every time they they compound a screw up as a result of dumb government policy with another screw up as a result of dumb government policy we ladies and gentlemen take it in the shorts we take it in the shorts every time easy boy your head will explode all right right. can can i can i introduce this piece now hey um you know let me switch gears and topics um a couple of months ago i met this guy um matthew peterson at a conference in miami on national conservatism um, good guy. He runs an outfit called New Founding, which we'll talk about during the interview, and uh, the Firebrand Pack, which we'll also talk about during the interview. Um, so uh, we're going to cut away to that right now. I'm here today with Matthew Peterson, um, a, a a fellow fellow traveler on a variety of roads that we're that we're all walking on. Um, in fact, I was on a panel with him at the National Conservatism Conference a couple of months back, and. Um, 
And he was, of course, much better than I was because he was probably there on time. And I kind of staggered in just a shade late. Anyway, um, so he's taking time to come visit with us. And I'm going to ask him a bunch of different questions. And he's probably going to try to avoid them as best he can. Tell us what you're involved in. And I especially want to know about this, this new founding thing. Yeah, so involved in a lot in the last two years. Um, in the beginning, I kind of, this all started for me in 2020 uh, after seeing uh, enough, seeing enough on election day and thinking about the mess that was to come. Uh, I just decided it was time to basically treat myself as a venture firm and go try to start new things. So what's come out of that is with my co-founder, Nate Fisher, a company called New Founding, which is... Uh, dedicated to building the trust layer of the internet, as we call it, uh, building the platform and community that will restore a, a human model of trust to digital life and beyond. Um, that company is very exciting. Uh, there's a lot happening there. And at the core of it will be a, a platform, open protocol, putting together communities of people uh, and basing the algorithms, if you will, on human judgment and trust. Uh, but uh, that sounds abstract. A practical realization of this can be seen in Align, which is as in alignment, which is our newsletter and really almost a marketing affiliation program at this point for uh, businesses across the country who aren't woke, who are pro-American and aren't grifty. Uh, they're providing products and services you need. And our pitch to consumers is, look, stop buying things from people who hate you. Uh, but the rest of the pitch is positive. It's about you know these these companies that provide better alternatives to the large corporations that are in our face all the time. And so Align is a practical example of what will grow off the platform, where you will have user generated information and rankings uh, and ratings and credentialing and curation of the kinds of things you want. Uh, and we'll start with the products and services that act as alternatives. So. If you're like me, one of the biggest questions you have every day is, what's the alternative to PayPal? What's the alternative to, uh, you know, to uh, all the big dogs? And the truth of the matter is, there's lots of companies out there, whether they're in red state America or not, who are perfectly willing to say, hey, why don't you try our product? Uh, so we think that's, uh, you know, that's that's hitting a lot of a lot of uh, what needs to be hit right now, and providing a, something that's actually of value to people. So that those newsletters are already hundreds of thousands of people subscribe. It's free. Uh, it's good stuff. Where do people find it? Newfounding.com. Go to newfounding.com uh, or align.newfounding.com, and you'll find uh, you'll you'll find a way to sign up. Very good. Um, tell me about the pack. Yeah. So another thing that came out of the last uh, the last two years was thinking about uh, the problem that often uh, troubles many of us, which is. Better messaging on the right, better leadership on the right, a more belligerent uh, approach in media. Uh, how do you get politicians to message the right way? How do you push them? So we came up with the experimental avant-garde super PAC uh, American firebrand. But really what we've ended up doing is getting to a place, a very nice place now, uh, moving into the elections, where we put out stuff that other people are really not free to. Uh, we're not beholden to anyone, and we like to fight to win. So we just put something out about what Mitt Romney is doing to his own party in Utah. Uh, that just came out this week. Uh, disgraceful, uh, not not supporting Mike Lee. Uh, and we've uh, we've done a couple interesting. We have a great one on Martha's Vineyard about how Martha, Martha's Vineyard actually provides the model for 
everyone and how to deal with illegal immigration. <laughs> Act fast to identify the criminal trespassers, deport, use the military if necessary, and then congratulate yourselves. There you go. Um, I assume that's not for broad publication. People can't just ring up your stuff, or can they? Oh, yeah. American American Firebrand stuff is, uh, we have, it's not all white labeled. Uh, we do do that for other people. But if you go to AmericanFirebrand.com or Firebrand Pack on Twitter, Firebrand Pack on Twitter is a pretty lively account that's growing really fast. Our guy Logan is uh, is killing it. I, I'm interested in the new founding thing because when I was um, a much younger person and in school, and I can't remember who did it. It was an economist, right? It was an, a couple of economists did a study of trust and the, the importance of trust in an economy. And they took a look at uh, a region of the United States, I want to say the Northeast, and Sicily. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they found out was, you know, that that the, the um, and I like your thoughts on this, what they found out was that that when human beings trust one another, economic um, intercourse becomes uh, much, much easier than when everything becomes contractual and some level of disvoluntary, right? Where you, where you, you assume everything's going to be litigated, that um, the economy essentially grinds to a dead stop, which is where Sicily's been for a hundred years now. Um, anyway, I, I, tell me, you know, what, what, what thoughts might you have about that? Oh uh, yeah, I mean that's it's you're 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 spot on. I mean this is the problem now. What we see now, I call it second world America. Uh, you know, you see a kind of decline. You look around and, and things that used to be uh, ship shape are not anymore. We're not third world. You know, things can get a lot worse. We're still extremely blessed to be here. But you see this kind of second world decline. Part of this is uh, this evaporation of trust. We don't trust institutions. We don't trust each other. And I think your point is ex- exactly it's deep, right? Because to me, it's a it's a fundamental principle of Western political thought that ultimately you don't you want to get to the place where you don't need law. Like ultimately, Aristotle says you want everyone to be friends. Like the laws, the regulations, they all exist to allow people to freely live flourishing lives. Yeah. But the when you have less trust, you're going to need more law, yeah. and it's by necessity it's gonna it's gonna become worse. So our premise, um, and some of this is the uh, I think it was some visionary thoughts by my co-founder Nate. Uh, the premise in in his mind and in mine is when you look at how America was founded you had to have a high trust society. I mean, if you took a random group of Americans and put them on the Northeastern seaboard in that time, right now, I think it'd be a very short episode of Survivor and no one would make it off the island. Whereas now, uh, you know, back then, I mean, you had uh, a lot of um, a lot of dedication to the same principles and purposes among those people. And so what I would say is in a very broad way today, Imagine what you can do when you have that high trust community. And some simple examples we like to give are, you know, a club that you, you private clubs people used to belong to, or your church. If you're a member of your church, if you're a real part of that community, a reference, right, from a, a fellow member means a lot. I mean, it's worth a lot uh, in real terms. It might lead to you hiring someone, whether it's a babysitter or a vice president. And, and that that's that community is what we need to restore. And the problem with a lot of online networks now is if everyone's just a part of it, there's no sort of alignment among the human beings who are a part of it. That's right. Then, of course, you're going to have these problems. That's that we right. See today. You know, it, it, it intermediating institutions is what the young people call them. Right. Mm-hmm. If you don't have intermediating mm-hmm. institutions, you have a real problem because nobody has any sort of. Um, ability to judge anybody except on yeah. an individual basis. And I'll give you a specific. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, you know. I'm a 
you know, the, the intermediate institution that I'm a part of is, of course, the Roman Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. And we re-up it every Sunday, and we hang out and have donuts, and, you know, you do stuff you don't want to do around the parish. <laughs> but it's a, um, you know, your exactly. pastor tells you something, you're like, yeah, that's probably more right than wrong, mm-hmm. right? Is yes. It, it's, it's without that kind of thing, right? And thousands of others, right? Knights of Columbus, chess clubs, anything like that, right? No, that I think is a is a is a perfect example. Uh, likewise, uh, Roman Catholic myself. I mean, when you look at uh, parish life, at least it's supposed to be when it's healthy and strong. You have a bunch of overlapping communities, you know, coming into one. And what is fundamental about it, though, is that there's a certain alignment among the members when they agree on certain basic principles and purposes. And you know, no one wants to say this now. We're supposed to say everything's neutral and. That doesn't matter, but it matters greatly, and I'm I'm tired of pretending it doesn't in a society where we don't even agree about what men and women are. Uh, so I think that there is enough broad agreement where millions of people could potentially be part of communities that digital technology can enable uh, that would bring back uh, trust and bring back respect for human judgment. Yeah, let me let me throw one other one out there. Um, I can't remember the author's name. Bowling Alone, right? Came mm-hmm. out I think yeah. twenty. Six years ago, I want to say it was 1996, right? He made essentially the same argument that Americans are are no longer engaged in collectives outside of themselves, right? That that people are more people yes. are bowling alone than are bowling with people. Now that's you know sad, but it it I can't remember the author's name, but anyway, he made the point, and I, at the time I thought, yep, that's right, and mm-hmm. it's gotten no nothing but worse since then. I think. No, absolutely. I think right now it's and especially after the you know, the COVID times, it's it's an enormous problem. And there's a lot of very sad, unhappy people, but also there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people who are somewhat successful, who are struggling with this, where they, um, they feel increasingly uh, oppressed and for good reason. And what I would say is, you know, we've, we've all been psyoped into being used to, well, you are the minority opinion, uh, you're, you know, right-leaning, you can't say what you want in public. And we all know that the biggest corporations, the most famous places, places everyone knows, elite society, you can't say certain opinions or you will be fired. And that doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse. So the idea here is how do you foster an alternative uh, commercial cultural movement that has a positive vision of a more human way of life? You know, that's not it's not just anti-woke or something, right? It's saying, no, there's some broad thing. I mean, and look, moderate Democrats in Northern Virginia, uh, you know, also agree, right? With the school, everything that happened in the schools there was, wait a minute, I don't want this to happen to my kids. I don't want them to be taught this sort of stuff. So that that positive vision that's just focused on family and the things that matter is also the way you sell products and services, right? Anyone who cares about those things that also sells products and services. Sure. We can't even imagine that world anymore and we have to resurrect it. We'll get right on it. <laughs> Small task. Trying. Um, all right. Give me uh, from the sacred to the profane. Give me, give me your generic thoughts on the election. What's going to happen here in the next, whatever it is, four weeks? What are we? What are we looking at? Yeah. Well, I've been blabbing about it, uh, so you know I have I've practiced, uh, but no one no one knows for sure. But I think uh, my general take is: look, there's going to be a red wave. Um, that's good. The trend lines are fairly clear. Um, it has been a somewhat bumpier road than many people on the right would have hoped. Um, but I don't think at the end of the day, you can stop uh, You can stop this movement just because uh, of how bad uh, the other side is. And that's what's coming into play now and will continue to. So, I mean, I see us uh, ret- retaking um, Congress, uh, but 
I'm not going to be jumping for joy. That's a good first step. To me, this is more about how, uh, you know, providing it's, it's necessary, but not sufficient. Like we need to take, we need to retake Congress. Congress can't do too much, but what's really important is that that momentum will help propel new leaders forward. And I think one of the exciting things about an election like this, if it goes the way I, I think it will, is that there will be on look for leaders, people that no one even talks about now, right? Sure. Who will, who will come out of it. Sure. And that's a good thing. And, you know, we need to encourage people to, to, you can complain about the Republican Party, you can complain about, you know, how bad the world is and election integrity and whatever. But if you don't get out and vote in November, you know, we got nothing. So first, for baby steps, baby steps. 60 years ago, 60 years ago, the conservatives decided that the Republican Party was the one they wanted to take over. Was that a good decision or a bad decision? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Man, it's a, tough, that one, it's a tough one. Uh, I'm OK with that one, though. Um, I mean, it's probably a toss up. I don't know. Uh, I think there is uh, there is there would have been a lot of, uh, you know, you can you can look back and think, gosh, maybe it would have been much better if. They had retaken the Democratic Party and didn't, you know, people like Reagan didn't flee from it and they stayed within. I'll, I'll um, help you with the answer. But but the problem is now uh, it doesn't matter. That's right? right. It doesn't matter is the correct answer because the electorate is moving to where they want to move, mm -hmm. irrespective of party labels. Mm -hmm. The only people who are committed to party labels are, exactly right. are guys who are either making money off it or, or making power off it. <laughs> Everybody else is just washing around. Right. So <laughs> I know that's a hard question. I, I, I've, been, I've thought about it for a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. I've been I've been tangled up with the conservative movement since I was probably 15 years old. So I've been mm -hmm. thinking about it for a while. And it occurred to me about a year ago. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Wouldn't mm -hmm. have changed anything. Right. We'd yeah, still be I mean, we'd still be where is we are. this crazy. Like I, the way I look at this is and I, I try to tell people this because people get so hung up on it like it's their football team. Uh, and. To me, it's uh, the parties at the end of the day, like their structures, they're just vehicles to get to 50 plus one. You know, I mean, they're coalitional vehicles. They're, like we need to push you tell the party what to do. Tell politicians what to say. That's right. Don't it, depend it, on them. That's right. It's 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 um, it's it's an essentially um, look like everything else, like all corporate structures, like universities, like everything. Something exists in your head mm -hmm. doesn't really exist that much on paper in the real world. Right. You can't point to me a building and say that's yeah. IBM or that's Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Microsoft's the employees it vanished tomorrow morning. Right. Yeah. University of Pennsylvania is the same way. Right? It's got buildings. But that's it. You rename the buildings. Republican Party, Democratic Party, same, same. Right. If you, you know, they don't they don't have machines. They don't exist outside of people's thoughts. So it's a. Uh, it's important to free your mind. Meta metanoia. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, I, so, you know, it, 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 get a new way of thinking because you're probably going to need a new way of thinking at some point. Okay. Um, what's going to happen in 2024? There is a right answer here, so don't screw it up. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know what your right answer is, but for me, <laughs> um, I don't see, I see that as a, another level of cataclysm. Um, I think that um, you know. I, I I think that there are a lot of people who are bound and determined uh, to not allow a Republican to enter that White House. Uh, and uh, if uh, if Mr. Trump uh, throws in again, uh, that that doubles. But either way, uh, you know, there's there's going to be a what a racist, fascist, terrible Hitler on the one side, versus a uh, a screaming uh, sort of ruling class. So I, I think we're set up for, um, you know, a, a, a troubling 
a bump, troubling time. A bumpy ride. Um, okay, well, I'll, yeah. take, I'll take that as an answer. The, the correct answer is, of course, Tulsi Gabbard <laughs> runs as a Republican <laughs> and wins, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard. There you go. Um, you know, uh, I'm finally, you go. I finally have the candidate <laughs> that I've been wanting for a while, and I got I, it. I'd be okay with that. I think um, I could see her... Um, I could see her running. I could see her being uh, oh, vice president. Who'd be way be, better than other she's people. She's going to be somebody's vice president. Um, you bet your and, last dollar on that. And that actually relieves me because one of the things that I am worried about is uh, who who's in some of the who's in that VP slot, uh, regardless of which of the other two you got. So you, I, I I would take her in a heartbeat. Yes. Yeah. It it, it and that's going to be everybody's that's going to be everybody's answer, right? Um. Two other questions before I open the floor for whatever you want to say. Um, who's going to win the World Series? <laughs> I didn't expect I, that, I, did I, you? I can't do that one. I was uh, sadly, sadly, <laughs> I um, I, I drifted from from baseball Don't, as a little kid during the strike in the eighties. Sure, and um, I got Never. back into it because my kids, when we were in L.A., um, watching some Dodgers, the sort of fair weather fans, just for fun. Um, but I, but I have no idea. Okay, that's fine. Um, now the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills are clearly going to win. Oh, that's an unfortunate <laughs> answer right there. I wasn't even going to ask about the Super Bowl. I was just going to ask about this week when they played the Chiefs. Um, uh, there you go. Tom Pyle, ladies Flip and gentlemen. Coin. Tom Pyle, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Usually people ask this the first question. I'm going to ask this as the last question, and then I'll open the floor for whatever you want to say. What's your personal bio? What's your story? How do you wind up here? Uh, well, I mean, what's crazy, you said movement, you know, part of the conservative movement, whatever. I mean, I was I was pretty much uh, born into a right-leaning family. Um, I guess we were part of the religious right. Where are you from? I was born in western New York, uh, Johnson City, Binghamton. What the hell? We moved around a bit. We were in Buffalo, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We were in northern Virginia twice, high school in Michigan, and then I was California, and now I'm in Texas. Uh, so so we moved around a bit, and um, you know, I was one of those nerds who was really into uh, reading the books, one of the great books. I went to a, a crazy undergrad called Thomas Aquinas College, which is a great place to get to read the books. TAC, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> California, Southern California. Yeah, uh, and then I, then I again, like just true, true fact. There's never been a TAC graduate who thought they were wrong about anything. <laughs> just so you know. Just, okay, what I say, I can't even imagine I, how I can't even imagine I, how they got out of class. What, <laughs> it's very true. What I say about that is, uh, you know, I'm from TAC, but I'm not one of the weird ones. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I just, uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just reporting the facts here. Oh no, I, I agree with the facts. I, I only uh, entertain hiring them until they've been broken by the real world. Yeah, there we go. Um, but then after that, it was so, it's sort of indulgent. I mean, I just, I was able to just read more good stuff. Uh, actually, in, uh, in grad school because I went to Claremont. I was thinking about going to law school. Like, I want to go into politics, but I don't want to practice law. And I realized at least that that was a bad idea. Yeah. But then I did even worse and went to get the PhD. And thought, oh, I'll change academia and it'll be great. We'll help form new institutions. Uh, and, you know, I did that. I was able to read a lot of the founding and political philosophy. That was fun. Uh, but it became clear that, um, you know, if you're a professor, I was never just going to be a professor. I was always doing entrepreneurial things at the same time. Uh, and became clear that, you know, you wouldn't be in charge of anything uh, increasingly, you know, increasingly, even before it became the crap show it is now. Um, so I did a lot of work in in media and political consulting, a lot of uh, fun shenanigans, um, entrepreneurial activities uh, here and there. And I was about to give up on education entirely. 
And then Ryan Williams, who became president of the Claremont Institute, called me up and said, hey, you know, we should have lunch. And I thought, there's no way in heck I'm going to go back there, you know, to the think tank or whatever. Uh, but we had lunch and he convinced me, no, no, there's a lot going on. And, and the appearance of Trump made me think there were some signs of life. I'd kind of given up on the Republican Party. And uh, we had a lot of fun. We created the American Minds. I ran the fellowship programs. Uh, we supported a lot of the younger people in the administration. Uh, and then, like I said, then 2020 happened. And I thought, I'm going to go back to it. And uh, and I you know, talked to Nate, moved to Texas, and we're doing it. Very, very good. Very good. All right. What else do you want to tell me? Uh, I I want to say that um, on the record, um, oh, oh. not even a joke. Um, <laughs> I, it's actually serious. I think we need we need a a broad commercial cultural movement that moves in the opposite direction of ESG. Not the same. Not an analog. Not a mirror image. But we need to start thinking a little bit bigger about the seriousness of the problem. We do that already. But we need to talk about what a solution would look like. And that can sound almost laughable, almost fantastic, but uh, you know, I like to paint these pictures, whether we move this way or not. For instance, um, if every business can talk about the climate crisis um, and how they're going to change the temperature of the earth, et cetera, et cetera, imagine if you lived in a world where um, businesses acknowledged the real problem in our culture, uh, the declining civilization that we have, which is the crisis of the family. And that's about civilizational health or fitness. It's not even at this point, uh, you know, a matter of people arguing about, oh, that's your religious belief. Uh, I think speaking in that broad way about these things and saying, why wouldn't businesses be supporting the family in various ways? Why wouldn't they be advertising their products and services based on, uh, you know, the family, which is what everyone wants. People still, you pull them, it still is the case, as broken as we are, people want those healthy, meaning relationships. And so, you know, the fact that we can't even imagine a world anymore in which You'd see that advertisement on TV. That disturbs me, and I, I do want to. I think we need to. We need to think think bigger about that. And then the way to get there is really small, practical ways. Um, but 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 that that's what I want to say. We need a metanoia. Yes. Huh. <laughs> yes. Almost as if. Huh. Almost as if. That sounds familiar. <laughs> I could have sworn I heard that somewhere recently. <laughs> All right, um, Matthew. Thank you so much. Um, come back on next time you're in town. Absolutely. And uh, we'll torment you a little bit more. And the Bills are, unfortunately, probably the right answer in the Super Bowl. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Let's hope so. All right. Well, thank you very much for quarterbacking that interview, uh, Mr. McKenna. It's always good to have um, other people besides us <laughs> <laughs> barking at our listeners for an hour so. Yeah, it, uh, it, and we got a couple more on the horizon too. We'll we'll sneak. We'll, we'll, we got uh, we got we'll, we got, maybe a couple of good ones. We got one. Well, I'll tease. I'll tease one. We got one next week, right? We got a we yeah. got we got yeah. a, we got a powerful and important person next week. Yeah, we're gonna interview the new, well, not so new anymore, president of the Heritage Foundation. Well, you are at least. We're gonna torment him. We're gonna see how it goes. My guess is by the time it's over, he's gonna be like, I don't want to be on your show anymore. All right, producer, do you know who Angela Lansbury is? Oh, boy. He says, yeah. <laughs> he said no. <laughs> he said no. <laughs> Come on. Did man. you ever watch Beauty and the Beast? What the hell? Sure. Producer? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, she was the teacup. Yeah. So anyway, 
I'm God sure, rest I'm, soul, I'm sure Angela she Lansbury lived a very, very long time. And I will have to say this. I never I, I never watched one episode of Murder She Wrote. Me neither. Um so Angela Lansbury died five days short of her 97th birthday. I just wanna um my mother was a a huge fan of Angela Lansbury. Um and and sort of modeled some of her career, her acting career off of her. Uh, and it was my mother's 90th birthday uh, yesterday, right? Was it yesterday the 11th? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, I, when, when Angela, when Angela um, went over to the other side, I thought, hey, what a, you know, coincidence. 96, my mom's 90. Anyway, it's just like you say, rest in peace. It was kind of fun. And, and she was actually, if you've never seen this movie, watch it just for her she was the greatest villain in movie history of the manchurian candidate uh, i was just gonna say that is one that i did see she was and she was a pretty formidable actress in her in her youth sure man well, well she said how she you know how she did that and didn't win something for the manchurian candidate i have no idea and the, and the good manchurian candidate the one with sinatra and um no i can't remember who else that 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 the other guy anyway um sinatra and lansbury they stole the whole thing doesn't really matter who the other guy is uh well in this in the department of we'll take them when we can get them there was a major announcement this week i'll play an excerpt from that i can no longer remain in today's democratic party that's under <laughs> the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who were driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on, but Tulsi Gabbard is now officially an independent yeah um two things right she's already announced she's going to go uh appear with uh dan balduck general balduck who's our nominee is the republican nominee up in new hampshire um that's one and then two i'm going to take a victory lap on this because i've been calling this for a long long time and i've been getting some rocks thrown at me long story short and i just want to re-it up re-up what i've said I always said she was going to ultimately leave the Democrats. I've also said she's going to run for president. So when that happens, don't be amazed. Well, also, it's uh, you can imagine a scenario where yes. Trump might, you know, yes, throw her on a ticket. Yes, she's, you know, she, she, you know, I don't think that she's, um, I don't think that that's something that she would dismiss hands down no i think it's something she, you have to think about and not just trump right i think she instantly vaults to the top of everybody's vice presidential possibility list right because you know she well but i'm not sure how how much i want to get out over my skis on this one but if you're thinking if you're a republican and you're thinking you need a, a woman to be your vice president she's yeah the, she's the best of the available options at this moment and that's just that now there may be others that surface but for right at the moment she's it and um 
it's going to be super interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, really looking forward to, to the next couple of years as she runs for president. It's going to be great. And, yeah. and the other thing is, one last thought on this, right? The other guy who's completely vindicated, Match Lap. Yeah, yeah, he had her at CPAC. He got a bunch of flack for that. Yep, because she, you know, she uh, was whatever, not not whatever enough for everybody. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I could see. I mean, he he likes to do that kind of stuff, likes to th- mix it up a little bit. I so. just, you know, I just you should give credit where credits due, and credits due right there, right? He 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 um, he called it right, you know, and and I'll, and I'll tell you, I just it's the Jamie Diamond thing, right? You're either looking for converts or you're looking for heretics. And yeah, I understand. Those are understand. two totally different searches. Gotcha. All right. I got a poll for you. Trafalgar. No, oh, brother. In New York. Yeah. Lee Zeldin, right? Governor Kathy Hochul, 45. Lee Zeldin, 43. Yeah. Inside the margin of error, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I know that I know this is going to bother you because 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 um, this lady is from from Buffalo. No, no, it no longer bothers me at all. She's from. These are a, a thousand eighty seven likely voters. Yeah. Polls conducted nine thirty through ten three. This was before the the little dust up too. the shooting. Yeah. In front of his house. Yeah. So. That's some pretty grim stuff. You know, the thing yeah. that, the thing that makes it grim, especially grim is. There's been no, there's been no report from the police on whether that was related in any way to, to Lee. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's kind of scary out there, sports fans. Um, yes, it is. And, and this is not the first time someone tried to stab the guy, for God's sake. That's right. Um, you know, I like him personally. You know, he's a friend. He's a good guy. He's got an interesting. He's got an interesting resume, right? Served his country, deployed out, um, you know, came back, won a bunch of races that he shouldn't have run in Congress. He shouldn't have won in Congress, right? Beat an incumbent twice, twice. Um, you know, they, they try to run him out. So um, he'd be a great governor. I'm holding I'm holding my breath, keep my fingers crossed. Um, we'll get we'll probably get at least one more, maybe two more pulses of data before game day. Um, but, you know. New York's getting to be pretty, pretty catastrophic. Of course, this week they joined California in seeking to ban the internal combustion engine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I'm good. I'm done. What do you have? I got two other things real quick. Um, One is Adam Wren. You never heard of Adam Wren, the reason why you would. He's a Politico reporter. Um, I'm not sure how nicely to say this. I'm trying to think of the nicest way I can possibly say it. Mr. Wren helped Frank Mervin, who is running as a Democrat in Indiana's first congressional district, uh, helped him alert everyone to the fact that the Republican nominee in that district, Jennifer Ruth Green, an Air Force veteran, had been assaulted actually while she was in the air force that fact had not come out this is ruth green had not this ruth green had not volunteered that fact nobody else had i do not know and this is a serious thing i'm about to say i do not know how anybody on the anybody anybody um can talk to politico or their reporters or their editors uh, until and less than until mr wren is somehow disciplined 
That is an enormous breach of privacy. It has you know nothing to do with the campaign, um, but he took it upon himself to advertise it. Um, it it it. I'm encouraging everybody out there within the sound of this voice to not talk to Politico until they do something about this. This is, you know, I'm not a guy who uses the word disgusting a lot like everybody else in politics. It's despicable. It, it is It is without, it is unconscionable. Um, but anyway, Adam Rand, reporter, Politico. Like I said, next time Politico calls one of you guys or your bosses, say, we don't talk to Politico until Mr. Rand has been disciplined in some important way. So that's one. Uh, I will start doing that right away. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm, it it this is a serious problem, right? And and I, you know, well, I know the reporter you're thinking of, and you know, she she herself should be upset about this. Um, Absolutely, it's a violation of privacy. It's a, like I said, it's unconscionable. Okay, just like I asked um, Mr. Peterson, Matthew Peterson, and he gave what I thought was a kind of a shaky answer. I will ask you. Um, who's going to win the Bills Chiefs this weekend? Um, I'm going Bills. Do you, do you want points? Or are you just going to take it straight? I'm going Bills. I don't know what the spread is. I think that uh, they are obviously struggling mightily with injuries. but And they had a couple of shaky games there, but uh, they're still they're – still, um, I think they're still a solid team, and I think that they've got – a chip on their shoulder this year. And I think they're going to beat the teams that they need to beat. Before I watched the chiefs um, embarrass themselves on Monday night by really losing to the Raiders without the help of the referees, right? They would have lost to the Raiders and I don't like the Raiders. So um, I would have said the chiefs are going to rip open the bills secondary because there's nobody back there. I'm starting to think the bills are just going to outscore the chiefs. They're just going to score like 50 on them, right? Because the Chiefs obviously don't have much of a defense. So, anyway, um, I think we're both Bills, but it's close. All right, what else we got? Well, you want to stick with sports a little bit. Um, yeah. What do you have in mind? Friggin' Astros. <laughs> how, how, why, why, why? What compels you? I mean, you got two, you got two professional relievers in the bullpen. <laughs> Why do you pick out a guy who's been struggling all year? What sense uh, does that make? I'm telling you, it's going to, it's going to turn out Scott service, the manager for the Mariners. Um, he, he must be on the payroll of the Astros. Cause it's just like, what a ridiculous decision to make. Is that where yeah, we're going well, Tom? I, I think we're going to, I think they're, I don't think they're going to get swept, but uh, I want, I would love to see Seattle be that sleeper team. Uh, Yankees didn't look terrible yesterday. They didn't look amazing, but. You know, you know what they go. You know what they looked, especially the pitchers. They looked rusty. Yep. You know, they look like they look like it's been a week since they pitched to anybody or ten days, right? I mean, yeah, you think about so. it. Garrett Cole suffered in the first inning and then was on, you know, was unbeatable after that. It, yeah. It's just, just a lot of rust. So, um, I think it's going to be a three game and out with Cleveland. And I think it. I think truthfully, I think the Astros are going to take the take the. Now we're going to take Seattle out in three games. I don't see how you come back from that if you're Seattle. Yeah, that was that was brutal. All right, I got a closer. Uh, you you ready for it? Yeah, man. Once again, the Veep takes the close. But I mean, truly, when you you know when you see our kids, and I truly believe that they are our children. They are the children of our country, of our communities. 
I, I mean, our future is really bright if we if we prioritize them and therefore prioritize the climate crisis and the need to address it. <laughs> Let's just let's just make it clear. I don't have any kids with with Vice President Harris. You don't. I don't. I don't. I want a I want a paternity test. There's no our kids. All right. Well, that is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for uh, in, indulging. Thank you for Matthew Peterson for joining us this week, and uh, we are out of here. Namaste. No,